Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website, go to Dobbs.com. We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices, and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on go to Dobbs.com now. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is 7.01. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And with Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carriker. Good morning. How are you? Randy, I'm doing well. How are you this morning? I'm doing fantastic. I'm not, I, I don't have a gold glove or anything this morning like I didn't have yesterday morning, but I'm still doing well. Tyler O'Neill has a gold glove this morning, and he'd never had one before yesterday. Congrats to Tyler O'Neill yeah, he- and Colton Long. Yeah. So the Cardinals did put Colton in their release, even though they released him. Uh, Tyler O'Neill beating out Shogo Akiyama of the Reds and David Peralta of the Diamondbacks. Those were the other finalists in left field for the National League Gold Glove. In uh, the National League at second base, the other finalists, in addition to Colton Wong, were Adam Frazier and Nico Horner. By the way, Paul Goldschmidt deserved to get consideration. He was one of the finalists, along with Brandon Belt and Anthony Rizzo, but Rizzo from the Cubs won the Gold Glove Award. So congratulations to all the winners. And Michelle, it's interesting, as you look at last year's winners, of the 18 Gold Glove winners in Major League Baseball, seven of them are no longer with their teams, including, obviously, Colton Wong. So it seems like teams are willing to move on from really good defense so that they can get different, maybe less expensive people in there. I think the game has changed so much that people like Mike Moustakis are getting $20 million a year to play second base because teams can shift. You don't need to have that great athlete on the infield anymore because of the shift and because it works so well, as we see, every team shifts against Matt Carpenter and he hits into it every time. (laughs) You don't need to have that athletic Colton Wong anymore. So you're telling me that the award, while impressive, doesn't hold the same value that it used to. Teams are paying for offense now. They aren't paying for defense because you can get a guy as we see multiple times at second base just to play second base or third third base is a it's a position where if you have a great guy like Arenado who won his eighth gold glove last night if you have a great one that's great but generally third base is a a position where you either do it or you don't balls hit so hard down the line either going to catch it and throw it or you're not But what if, Randy, your team struggles on offense and the identity of your team and the success of your team is based not only on pitching, but on solid defense? Then I think what you need to do is improve your offense. And that's what the Cardinals need to do. I don't believe Colton Wong's situation when he was released, that had nothing to do with baseball. That had nothing to do with how he plays or his offense or his defense. It had everything to do with the fact that the Cardinals gave him that contract with a $12.5 million option five years ago, 
And the game has changed so much in five years that he would have been worth that $12.5 million five years ago if he played like he did this past year. But because the game has changed so dramatically, now he's a $3.5 million, $4.5 million player rather than a $12.5 million player. And you, if you can plug in a guy like Keston Hura or Moustakis to play second base or one of the dozen or so second basemen that the Dodgers play with, <laughs> they've got a different guy every night. <laughs> You, you can do it that way. You can get a lot more value at that position and not have to pay near the money the Cardinals would have had to pay for Wong last year. And by the way, I'm not so sure that Tommy Edmond is not going to be a really good second baseman. From what we've seen with his range at third and short, mm-hmm. I have every reason to believe that he'll be maybe not a Wong-type second baseman, but good enough to win with. Yeah, if you're Colton Wong... What a bummer for you. He had a great Instagram post last night, by the way. It's him popping a bottle of champagne, and he says, if anyone's looking for a two-time Gold Glove Award winner, send me a DM. (laughs) But to your point, here's a guy in Colton Wong who is doing his job at an elite level. You know, he is fulfilling what he's supposed to in his role for the Cardinals. Mm -hmm. And because of the way that the game has changed and because of a pandemic and because of the money that is owed to him, he is a guy without a job, a really talented guy without a job. And... He'll find one. He'll find one, He's that good defensively that he'll find one. Now, last year, the only playoff teams, only two of them that were below league average in allowing runs were Toronto and Miami. I still think the Cardinals are going to do a really good job, Michelle, of suppressing runs. With their pitching, with DeYoung, who's gold glove caliber at shortstop, with Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader, who are both elite or at least perceived as elite in left and center, Carpenter at one point was he was second in the league in defensive run saved three years ago. So he, he hasn't always been terrible over there. I don't know. But this that, is not three years ago. No, you don't want to you don't want to have him over there. But then Goldie saves a lot of plays at first base. He turns guys that are kind of rusty gloves into gold gloves because he's so good. And then you have to hope that behind the plate you can get good defense there. But on the infield especially because of the presence of Goldschmidt, I think the Cardinals will be representative. Are they going to be great? Are they going to have gold glovers at three positions? No. But can they win with that if they get defense or offense from elsewhere? If they can get a DH, if they can get some offense Mm -hmm. from third base or the outfield? Yes, they could, conceivably. So you just have to hope that the team is actually going to improve the offense, that they are being patient, they're seeing how the market develops and that they understand that they can't invest a lot in a position where they could get comparable production when they need to invest more in an area of need. Yeah, let's just throw out the projection from uh, MLB Trade Rumors. They have the Cardinals signing Jock Peterson Mm -hmm. for two years and $18 million. Maybe backload that contract for when Carpenter and Fowler aren't on the books anymore. So pay the guy $6 million next year and $12 million the year after that when you have more cap space, or not internal cap space, not real cap space. But then you have a guy that can hit right-handed pitching that could platoon with either Bader or O'Neill. So you have Carlson playing every day, or Fowler for that matter, when Fowler needs a day off. You would have production every day from at least that guy. I would rather, if I were the Cardinals, I would rather spend my money on a bat like Jack Peterson than a glove like Colton Wong. All due respect to Colton, I would much rather, with this particular team, find some offense. Now, I don't think that the Cardinals are going to spend money. My, we, we asked Mo last week during the press conference, presuming you just let the guys that are free agents go and don't bring anybody back, 
and he didn't dismiss that idea at all. He said he didn't ha- wasn't super confident in it without a strategy. But my sense is is that what the Cardinals want to do, and I don't think it's right. I want to get that out there, but I think what they want to do is bring back the same group of guys, minus Molina, minus Wong, minus Wainwright, and continue to have Jeff Albert try to implement a system that works. Am I confident in that? As Mo said, no. <laughs> <laughs> but with the Jack Peterson rumor, do you really have that much more confidence in him for 18 mil over two years than you do over what the Cardinals have right now as the carousel in the outfield? I mean, he had a really strong World Series. He's a guy who does hit right-handed pitching, but he struggled against left-handed pitching. I think he has a 231 uh, average over his career. He's a platoon guy. He's yeah. he's not an everyday answer for you. And I think if you are the Cardinals and you're trying to be really smart about where you invest your money and you're looking at still um, a loaded runway in the outfield with different different options out there to put the puzzle together. I just don't know if that's the wisest way for them to spend the money. Here's the thing. I don't think that O'Neill and Bader can hit right-handed pitching. So I, I want to build a platoon team. I, I, I look at the two World Series teams. That's what Jack Peterson is. He's, he's a platoon player. That's essentially what the Rays are every single day is trying to get that best matchup and have a better bench. That's why I like the idea of a guy like Peterson. I don't like him playing every day, but if I can get Jock Peterson out there to play on those days against right-handers and then against lefties, I'm using O'Neal or Bader. I really don't want Dexter Fowler hitting right-handed either, by the way. So if De- if I have a platoon with Fowler hitting left-handed and, and O'Neal hitting right-handed, I'm fine with that too. And then you just settle for Bader's elite defense in center field. That wouldn't be a real problem for me. I, I Relatively speaking, again, because I don't think that's a group that wins the World Series. Right. But from what I'm looking at, from what I know that their self-imposed limitations are going to be, that's what you'd have. Sounds exciting. I don't think... That, <laughs> I, I honestly don't think that... If the Cardinals, I'm thinking that they're going to cut payroll by about 30 to 40 million. I, I, I would guess payroll, or I'm sorry, 20 to 30. I'm guessing payroll will be 140 to 150 million. It was about 170. And I don't see, as we've talked about a lot over the last two weeks, I don't see a path to the World Series for the Cardinals with that sort of a payroll. Next year, when Carpenter and Fowler come off the books, do I see a better opportunity if fans come back? Yes, but until fans are back and those guys are off the books, mm-hmm. I don't see it happening for the Cardinals. No, and and the fans coming back is such an important piece of this. It totally is. The Yankees make five hundred million a year off of TV. Cardinals make less than a hundred million a year off of TV. The Dodgers make three hundred million. Houston makes a couple of hundred million. The Rangers make a couple hundred million. Phillies make a bunch of money. The Cardinals, even with that, that that's a. 15-year deal for a billion dollars, which is a lot of money. But And by the way, they do own part of Fox Sports Midwest as well. Mm-hmm. But the Cardinals are a team in their market that counts heavily on selling 3.2 to 3.4 million dollars, 3.2 to 3.4 million tickets every year. And if they don't have that, that's a huge chunk of their revenue. For the Dodgers, losing fans isn't as big a chunk of their revenue. For the Mets, for the Yankees, for the Astros, it's not as big a chunk because of the money that they get from their local TV deals. So that's just something that the Cardinals have to deal with. And the, I think there's a perception out there that Bill DeWitt's in this to break even. He's not. 
Bill, Bill DeWitt Jr. is a businessman, and he wants to make money. It's going to be very interesting to see how this cycle plays out. The Cardinals are competitive because of the BFIB coming mm-hmm. to the games and supporting them. But in the wake of a pandemic, even when fans are allowed back, it seems like some people have lost their luster for not only sports in general, but their their luster for this team. So how many people are going to be wanting to truly invest all of that money back into the team when they're allowed to go back? I know that there are some people that no matter what the team looks like or their what their excitement level is, they're going to show up because it's the St. Louis and this is part of the fabric of our community. But we read the text line every day. We read Twitter every day. And fans have re- reached a certain point with this team. They don't have the interest or excitement level that they used to. And when you know that the team is going to look a certain way and you can pretty much anticipate that it's not going to be an exciting brand of baseball and maybe Adam Wainwright's not there. Maybe Yadier Molina's not there. Maybe there's not that that nostalgia reason mm-hmm. for you to go back anymore. I'll be very interested to see what the support looks like. No pressure, Dylan Carlson. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we want to hear from you. I want to hear from you because I want to answer your questions. It's time for Ask Uncle Randy, in which I answer any question you might have. It can be about sports, but it doesn't have to be. It can be about life, lifestyle issues. It can be about a purchase that you're about to make. Whatever you want answered in your young life, ask Uncle Randy. Use the email address, askuncleRandy at 101ESPN.com. You can send us a text. 65780 is the number for the Air Comfort Service text line. I'd love to hear your voice from the Rhino Shield mic drop feature with the 101 ESPN app. Either way, get in touch with Uncle Randy next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. This is scary. This is scary music for Ask Uncle Randy. Yeah. Sounds like Halloween. I'm, I'm trying to be nice and friendly. And I don't know. A lot of people woke up upbeat. this morning pretty scared, Randy. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but it's not because of Uncle Randy. No, uh, it's not. I, I am avuncular, as they say. I'm here to calm you down, to make sure that you're happy and that you get good answers, good advice in life. And that's why we have the email address, askuncleRandy at 101ESPN.com. That's why you can send us a text through the Air Comfort Service text line 65780, or you can leave us a mic drop on the 101 ESPN mic drop feature. It's brought to you by Rhino Shield. Uncle Randy is sunshine on a cloudy day. Oh, yeah. Sunshine lollipops. That's my whole life. You have any questions for me, Michelle? You, you can start if you want. Um... Well, let's get to the listeners first, then I'm going to think of one. All right. Okay, how about this one? Dear Uncle Randy, I have a girlfriend, and I'm very much in love with her, but my family hates her. They do not want us to be together, but I can't picture my life without her. What should I do? Well, and by the way, you can send your names or just an an initial, but here's the thing. You are getting married to her. Your family isn't getting married to her. This is somebody that you are going to share a life with, share a home with. And what your family thinks should not really matter. They should accept her as part of the family. And I understand that that's difficult and you can't just say, hey, you have to accept her. But if you're very much in love and you can't envision living your life without her, then what you have to do is commit to her and tell your family, look, you have to do everything you can to try to make it work because this person is going to be my wife. And I think it always comes down on the side of your feelings and your life rather than your family's feelings. 
And everyone's family dynamics are different. But also keep in mind that your family has probably your best interests at heart. And if they see some red flags, maybe you're so in it that you can't see them. So I would just open those channels of dialogue and ask them, hey, why don't you like her? Tell me, are you seeing something that I'm not? Because sometimes that's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, it's worth it to ask. Okay, Randy, how about this one? Dear Uncle Randy, I have guests coming from out of town. Give me three quintessential St. Louis restaurants I need to take them to. All right. We're going to start with barbecue. And Pappy's is always a great call. It's scenic. It's fun. You'll have a good time. They'll enjoy the food. So start with the barbecue at Pappy's. I would make a trek to the hill. I would fall on the side of Zia's. If you want to spend a little bit more money, Charlie Gito's is always a great call, too. You can't go wrong. But definitely, that's the quintessential St. Louis restaurant trip is to the hill. And then I believe that by a nose here, I am taking them for a nice dinner to Citizen Kane's. A nice steakhouse by a nose over Olive and Oak. So those are those are going to be my three. Pappies, a place to the hill, and I'm going to fall on the side of Zia's. And by the way, if you like their uh, their mushroom or their tomatoes, they're great. And then I, I would take them for a steak at Citizen Kane's. Now, if you are not, if they are not steak people, then you might just want to find a great burger place, O'Connell's up on Kings Highway. You, you can find a a great burger place here. That would be the one that I would recommend, though. Does Ted Drews for custard count. It does. I don't believe Ted Drew's is open, though, now that we're into November. Oh, that stinks. That's right. But I was thinking you might want to get something, some dessert in the mix there. I don't know if that counts as a restaurant, though. Well, I have, uh, I can come up with some ideas for you. Okay. How about this one? Dear Uncle Randy, I'm kind of stressed out. Tell me how to feel about this. The DeWitts might or excuse me, do you feel like the DeWitts owe the fans something since the fans have faithfully padded their pockets for the last 16 years? Okay, well, number one, don't stress out about it. Number two, I think this has been a very fair reciprocal agreement that we have had with the DeWitt family, actually since 1996. But when you consider that, since 2000, you've had the opportunity to enjoy the playoffs in, I believe it's 14 out of 19 years. You've had four pennants and two world championships the money that you've paid for tickets has been pretty well spent. I don't know that you'd want to return that for what Reds or Pirates fans have gotten over the course of the last 20 years. So I think that this has been a fair reciprocal agreement. Do I think, I believe your question is, should the DeWitts be willing to lose money for me because I bought tickets for their really good product over the last several years? No, that's just not the way business works. If, uh, your favorite restaurant has been affected by the pandemic and isn't doing as well as they have in the past, just because you've bought food there for the last 20 years doesn't mean that since their business is down and supply and demand is occurring, that they should reduce their ticket prices or provide a a different, they they shouldn't provide more food for you during a pandemic. I I, I just don't see it that way. I, I think that the... The return on investment, if you've bought Cardinal fans since the DeWitt ownership took charge, I think it's been pretty good. This one's from David. Uncle Randy, is there a celebrity that you've met that you were excited to meet, but after you met them, it was a giant letdown? Yes, Dennis Miller. <laughs> really? Oh, man, what a jerk. Yeah, <laughs> really? huge Dennis letdown. Miller? Yeah, 
So one night he was, uh, Bob Costas held his celebrity gala every year here in St. Louis. <laughs> that was not what I was expecting. And I, I went over to interview Dennis Miller, and he was just a total jerk, just a complete jerk. And this was before he became uh, what what he is now. He was a Saturday Night Live guy. He was funny. And I thought, okay, this is going to be fun. I can have some fun with a, a guy like Dennis Miller. No, that was, he was awful. I would have never guessed that. Oh. That's a good one. Okay, Uncle- and by the way, uh, uh, Warren Sapp was a jerk to Demarco and I too. So, but he, he was a jerk to Demarco. Oh yeah, but you know what? As it, as it turns out, he's got issues. True. Was he when you say he was a jerk to you and Demarco? Was he just short? Was he? Rude? He was no. He he was. We were interviewing him, and I I asked a joking question. I don't even remember what it was, but he wound up being just a, a real Richard. <laughs> yeah, so I just ended the interview. I said, we don't need to do this. We, we moved on. Yeah, pass. No yeah. thanks. Um, okay, I'm going to try and think of somebody that I've met that was a Richard. I'm, oh, we'll marinate on that. Okay, how about this one? Uncle Randy, would you rather score a goal in the Stanley Cup Finals, a three-pointer, and hit a three-pointer in the NBA Finals, a home run in the World Series, or a touchdown in the Super Bowl? All of these are game-deciding factors. I think the World Series home run is is huge. Obviously, you'd love to have that Patrick, Patrick Maroon goal, right? Mm-hmm. But if you give me the choice between the freeze home run and the Patrick Maroon goal or the Isaac Bruce touchdown, or let's just take the Ray Allen three, I would go, and that Isaac touchdown was pretty awesome. But I think a, a freeze for me is the most iconic. I, I would go, and freeze, Joe Carter, Bill Mazeroski, uh, Jim Edmonds, walk-off home runs in the postseason, the, the the game decider. I think that would probably be it. I think I might do a buzzer beater three-pointer. Like, think about the Kawhi shot when oh, yeah. the it, entire yep. arena held their breath. It felt like the collective basketball world that was watching held their breath at the same time. And imagine being the guy who hit that. Yeah, or Michael's last shot of the first career in 98. Right. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. That would be cool, too. How about this one? This is from Andrew. Dear Uncle Randy, I have a trivia event coming up. It has a theme on the Cardinals. I'm trying to impress my girlfriend with how much I know about sports, Mm. but I don't know a ton about the Cardinals. How can I get on the fast track to learn about Cardinals and baseball history? All right. I wish I could give you a good answer (laughs) about this. Uh, I believe there is a book, 100 Things That You Should Know About the Cardinals or something like that. I think somebody wrote a book within the last few years with cardinal facts and figures and trivia and things like that. But it, it's hard just to jump on the, the wagon and be dragged into cardinal knowledge. It's, it's hard to figure something like that out. You're exactly right. It's by our friend Derek Gould. A hundred thing, things Cardinals fans should know and do before they die. So start with that. And then just go to uh, baseballreference.com and just go to the cardinal leaders section. And I think that you'll just... If you just know the leaders, unless you have to do the four or the the fight at eight thirty, then you might have to know second and third place too. But just know the leaders of what the Cardinals have done. Stan Musial has the most home runs. Uh, Stan Musial has. By, by the way, that's a good default too. Is for hitting stats, always use Stan Musial. For pitching stats, always use Bob Gibson. There you go. And so. if not Stan, Albert's a pretty good second. Pretty default. good second place, absolutely. Okay, last one. This is from Eric. Dear Uncle Randy, what's the best and coolest sporting event you've ever witnessed in person? Hmm. 
I I still think my favorite in person that maroon gold game was pretty awesome. But I I still think I would go with that NFC the first NFC championship game against Tampa when the uh, on the Ricky Prohl catch because the crowd was so massive massive and it was so loud and the, the cool thing about that was Everybody knew they were going to win. It never entered anybody's mind that the Rams might not win that game. And I just remember as I was leaving the seating bowl, just watching the craziness, the pandemonium, and that's an overused word in sports, but the St. Louis fans were just going absolutely bananas. It was incredible. I think for me, it was the Super Bowl in Houston where the Falcons blew the Uh 28-3 lead to the Patriots. And I've told the story before, but the media, I had to get interviews on the field for ESPN after the game. And I had never done it before. I was so nervous. And my coworkers and I had a plan. We had the, when you get into a press box, you get a roster. And during the game, we were like, okay, Julio Jones, you're going to get him. Okay, you're going to get uh, Muhammad Sanu. Okay, great. So we had this entire plan. And at the end of the third quarter, the media goes down into the tunnel. Well, normally they have TV set up there so that the media can watch as things develop. But you have to wait until the two-minute warning before you can go out on the field Mm -hmm. because, to use your word, they don't want pandemonium out there. So there was a girl in front of me who worked for Fox Sports, and she had the live feed of the game on her phone. And she's like, the Patriots are coming back. They're going to win this game. I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) What? And so all of us were, not all of us, but a big group of us were crowded around this little phone watching. And all of a sudden the doors open and we get out there and the Patriots have won and the confetti is falling. And it was just every man for themselves trying to get an interview. But when you, when I saw the Patriots players faces, even they didn't happen. I saw, it was like the crowd parted and I saw Chris Long across the mm-hmm. way and confetti was falling on him and he was looking for his family. And it was just this moment where he realized his dreams had come true, but he didn't believe that it happened in the manner right. in which it had happened. It was a really cool thing to be a part That's of. Pretty awesome. That's Michelle. I'm Randy and thanks very much for your texts and your mic drops and your emails here to Carriker and Smallman. Next up, Mark Saxon wrote an article on his seven free agents the Cardinals could look after or look at. Do you think the Cardinals should be interested in any of them? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We're going to talk to our friend Mark Saxon later in the show. He has a piece up at The Athletic about Cardinal free agency. And I'll start with this. I don't think the Cardinals are going to be active dramatically in free agency, but he gives us some list of seven free agents that he thinks the Cardinals might be interested in. And we want to know, you can text us 65780. You can leave us a mic drop. If any of these people thrill you, we'll tell you what we think. Michelle, let's start with Jock Peterson. That's a name on the list that I think would intrigue me. Is he going to cause me to go out and buy season tickets? No, but would he make the Cardinals better? Yes. And coming off his World Series performance, I think he might be the most exciting option for the Cardinals based on the other people on this list because Jack Peterson did have a couple electric moments in the postseason. All right. How about former Cubs and now former Angels utility infielder Tommy LaStella? He had uh, a 5.3% K rate. That was the best in baseball. And he has been known to hit at times. He's certainly never shown himself to be an everyday player. Does Tommy LaStella move the needle for you? No. Does he move the needle for you? No. No. (laughs) I guess you need a utility infielder, but that's why you have Edmundo Sosa. Yeah. 
Kevin Pillar, who, by the way, I think two years ago hit 30 home runs for the Giants and at one point was considered the best defensive center fielder in baseball. Are the Cardinals, here's the question I would ask, Mm -hmm. are the Cardinals going to move aside Harrison Bader so that they can sign a guy for eight, ten million dollars to play great defense and have marginally better offense? Every indication that they've given us is that the answer to that question is no. Especially, they've they've committed to Bader, and I thought it was interesting that when John Moselec did his Zoom press conference, that he specifically mentioned areas uh, uh, that he thought Harrison Bader had improved in. And I think if if he's making those comments, you can pretty much go ahead and guess that Bader is going to be part of the equation next year. Kevin Pillar is a right-handed hitter. Last year had an overall OPS with the Red Sox and Colorado of 798. And the year before that, let's see, I want to go back to that year. Uh, He only had 21 home runs. It wasn't a 30 home run season for the Giants in 2019 and he was also with Toronto that year. He's never been a big OPS guy. So essentially what you're getting if you get Kevin Pillar is an older version of Harrison Bader, which doesn't thrill me. If the Cardinals have money to spend, I would be disappointed if they would go out and get Kevin Pillar. Yes, same. All right, Jerickson Profar. I can. I, I got a nugget for you. This is an old nugget. Back down, down, back during the 2013 World Series, I was sitting with Greg Amzinger, in the MLB Network trailer at Bush Stadium. And Peter Gammons was there, and we were talking about Oscar Tavares. And he told Greg and I that the Rangers had been offered Tavares for Profar. They were the number one and number two prospects in baseball at the time. Mm-hmm. And the Rangers turned it down because Oscar Tavares was so immature. Really? Yep. That is a good nugget. And Jerickson Profar is never come close to fulfilling the expectation of being the best prospect in baseball. He's become a little bit better. He's a switch hitter. He's a really, again, a, a nice utility guy. He's a better version of Listella, but he's not a guy that you sign as an everyday player for four or five or six million dollars that's going to move the needle, going to sell any tickets, going to make your team appreciably better. No. I don't think he moves the needle. I don't think people are going to be high-fiving if the Cardinals went out and signed Profar. But I do think his age and his versatility make him a little bit more intriguing to me than some of the other names on this list. All right. Uh, Mark also has Rich Hill if Wayno doesn't sign. The Cardinals have Flaherty, KK, Gomber, perhaps Michaelis, perhaps not, Reyes, Oviedo, Maybe Cabrera as a starter. He'll come to camp as a starter. Helsley will come to camp as a starter. Mm-hmm. Ponce de Leon, Woodford, Libertor, Zach Thompson. The Cardinals aren't going to sign a 36, 37-year-old left-hander who's hurt every single year when they have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 potential starters on their team that they think have a chance to get better. And yeah. Rich Hill does not have a chance to get better. He, if If you're a team that is planning on being in the postseason and being in the World Series, and you could afford to have Rich Hill be hurt all year long and then show up for playoff time, different animal altogether. I don't expect the Cardinals to be in that boat. Yeah, and I don't think if Adam Wainwright doesn't return that they're going to say we need to fill this spot with an outside presence. No. By any means. No, they'll have their leader in number 22. Mm-hmm. Astrubal Cabrera, he's been around the block he was with Washington. He's been with the Mets. He's been with Cleveland. Michelle, one time Shelly Duncan told me, Chris's brother, who played with Cabrera in Cleveland, said that he had never played with a middle infielder with less range than a Struble Cabrera. 
that he just can't play defense. Okay, well, let's cross him off the list then. <laughs> let's cross him off then. And Jonathan Scope. No. 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 So we love Mark, and we're no. going to ask him about this, but no. And attack 65780. Jock Peterson, yes. Platoon him with Bader in center field, and you'll have switch hitters at all three positions. Yeah. I think that's a good way to look at it. Fowler in right, switch hitter. Carlson in left, switch hitter. You can move Peterson to left, and if you want to play Carlson in center on the days that Bader doesn't play, then you got something. But I think that's the only one that I would really have interest in. And again, he's not a star. He's just a guy that would fill a need for a left-handed bat. And... We get the note that Peterson batted 190 in the postseason, but he has a uh, last year during the winter warm-up. John Mozeliak talked about how the Cardinals do not use batting average mm-hmm. as an evaluation tool. It's just not how they roll anymore, and they they use OPS, and specifically they're going to use those numbers when they get down to platoon splits. So, for example, for a guy like Peterson this past season versus right-handed pitchers uh, in the regular season, let me get to the regular season for him, uh, he hit, I don't know why I can't get the, okay, uh, he had, there he is, a 677 OPS, but his career OPS is very, very good. And that's what the Cardinals would be looking at is OPS rather than batting average. Were you surprised Michael Brantley wasn't on this list? I was. He was not qualified by the Astros. And he, even though he's older and he has a real long injury history, he's a guy that in the last couple of years has been reasonably healthy, nice left-handed bat. Maybe he costs too much. Maybe that would be the issue with him. But otherwise, he would be another good fit. Uh, We'll have to ask Mark Saxon about that, why he didn't include Brantley on the list. Yeah, we will later on in the show. Uh, by the way, the career OPS for Jock Peterson against right-handed pitching is 849. Yes, he's a 238 career hitter, but the Cardinals are looking at that 349 on base and that 501 slug rather than the batting average. And hey, this has been difficult for me to adjust to as well. But just remember, your Pobo, John Mozeliak, is saying we don't use batting average as an evaluation tool for our players. So don't even bother with it as far as the Cardinals are concerned. Next up, we're going to play a little game of Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Tioli is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. If you would like to participate in the fight today, you can at 830. All you need to do is send Scotty a text with your name and the word fight. To 65780. You send that text in and you may be one of the people that, well, you will be one of the people that has a chance. And Scotty might pick your name to fight against me at 836-5780. Right now, though, it's time for Take It or Leave It. Get your text in again to 65780 and Scotty will read your questions. But first, it's Michelle and I. Michelle, our friend Janoris Jenkins, of course, played (laughs) for the New York football Giants. Yes. And he was watching the Giants game against the Buccaneers on Monday night, and he was a little upset because Daniel Jones wasn't looking get good, too good. He was on the, on the interwebs, Janoris was. Okay. And he said that he had wanted the Giants to take Lamar Jackson over Jones. Only problem is, Lamar Jackson was drafted in 2018, Jones in 2019. Take it or leave it, this is totally on brand for Janoris. 
taking it. Take it, take it, take it. Yeah, he didn't know. No, Janor has no idea. <laughs> no, it's I, I think whatever we're talking about, I think we can be pretty safe in saying he doesn't know. No, mm-mm, doesn't. So it's on brand. It's it's he's a good player, but he's not the sharpest pencil in the box. You know, a couple sandwiches short of a picnic. But yeah, exactly. We, we love him. We love him. <laughs> okay, Randy. So last night, as we talked about at the top of the show, uh, Gold Gloves being announced. Mookie Betts claimed his fifth. He won four at the Red Sox and obviously got one with the Dodgers. We saw him make spectacular plays in the postseason. He was such a huge contributor to the Dodgers' success. Take it or leave it. He's going to be worth every penny of his $365 million contract. I will take that. I thought it was interesting. When he made the first catch in the LCS, I was listening to the Dodgers broadcast, Charlie Steiner, and he said, if ever there's been such thing as a $350 million bargain, he's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think he is. And even though the back end of the, well, here's the way I look at it. They won the World Series with him. Right. So he's already worth every penny. He was, they brought him in and he was the difference between getting to the World Series and winning it. But I do think that over the first five, six, seven years of that contract, he'll be a brilliant player too. Scotty, what do you got for us? All right, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We want to hear from you for take it or leave it. From the 636, take it or leave it, you would take a 300 hitter with zero home runs over a 200 hitter with 20. It depends on what spot in the lineup. I think for the Cardinals, I would rather have the 20 home run guy and plug him in in the five hole. Yeah, they could use some power. Yeah. Yeah, I might go with that too. People pitch differently. And by the way, 20 home runs over a 60-game season would be great. People pitch differently when there is danger behind the hitter that you're pitching to. Pitchers Mm -hmm. work differently to a guy who's in front of a a hitter with power rather than zero power, where you can just throw it right down the middle and know the guy's not going to hit it out of the park. From the 636, take it or leave it. Unless the Cardinals are going to make several moves, there is not one single move that's worth making. Either go all in or wait till next year. I'm going to take that. I am too. Because what what are they trying to accomplish? You know, if you put the team as it stands right now, as it's currently constructed out there, you still will contend for the division. You're not going to win the World Series mm-hmm. either way. And if your main goal is to say, we need to be financially sound here, we need to wait and see not only how the market develops, but what our financials are going to look like with fans, etc., moving forward. And then we're going to lock and lo- load for 2022. I think why go out and spend $18 million over two for a guy like Jock Peterson? I'm totally with that. Well, here's the thing, though. You're going to be able to buy low this offseason because of COVID-19. And the Cardinals don't have another outfield prospect that you say, okay, that guy's going to come up and be a really good player. Their next best outfield prospect is John Torres, who's, who might be that guy who never hits a home run. So, <laughs> Wait, so Randy Rosarana's not walking through that door? <laughs> no, no, no time soon, Michelle. So I think I would buy on a guy like Peterson because there isn't a guy for when Fowler is gone after 2021. There isn't a guy who you say, okay, he steps in unless you're willing to roll the dice on Tyler O'Neill or Lane Thomas becoming a player. But I'd rather have a more known quantity than that. And you'd have the guy for 2022 when you do expect to be a little bit better. We've got a couple texts here on Matt Carpenter. This one from the 314. Take it or leave it. Matt Carpenter will be DFA'd halfway through the 2021 season. 
You know, that's a really interesting question, and it's worth taking because he does have an option for at-bats. He, he has a vesting option for the amount of plate appearances that he makes. So it, it might be in the Cardinals' best interests to DFA him so that they can't play him enough to have him sign for 2022. Gosh, what a conundrum. What a contract. What a contract. Who was, what were they thinking? Oh. It was the salsa, man. Everybody was hyped up on the salsa run. Weird thing was they didn't have to do it. They had an extra, actually two years. Uh, it's just amazing that they, of all people to extend, they chose, and he's a nice guy. He's the best, but that doesn't mean, so was Colin Long. That doesn't yeah. mean that you give somebody a deal that isn't right. going to be beneficial to you. And they signed him on the heels of a season in which he had two good months out of six. Mm-hmm. This one comes from the 314. Take it or leave it. The NFL trade deadline is the worst trade deadline of all the major sports. It's not even close. It's the worst. It's Secretary in the Belmont. There's, <laughs> oh, man. It, it's, why, do you, why do you hate it so much? Nobody ever gets traded. Yeah, that's a good point. Baseball, get, there's trades. Basketball, there's trades. Hockey, there's trades. Nobody ever gets traded in the NFL. It's, it's stupid to even have a deadline. Yeah, basketball, stars are moving left and right. Right. Yeah. Hockey, too. Hockey, too. This one from the 314. Take it or leave it. Chick-fil-A is overrated and their service makes up for the food. I'm going to leave that. It's not overrated. It's excellent. And their service is beyond reproach. Their service. Well, I'll just tell you, it's my pleasure to go and go through the drive through at the the pair Chick-fil-A. It's fantastic. To the 314 who says that Chick-fil-A is overrated. Have you had the Polynesian sauce? Have you had the waffle fries? Have you had the spicy chicken sandwich? It is not overrated. No, it's great. It's great. By the way, the number for Carpenter, the 2022 option is guaranteed with 1,100 plate appearances in 20 and 21 with 550 taking place in 2021. And I believe there will be a proration for the 60-game season. But the Cardinals want to do everything they can to stay away from 550 plate appearances next season with Carpenter. Do not uh, make it 500. Just build that in. Don't even get close to 550 plate appearances. Don't even sniff it. No. (laughs) From the 314, take it or leave it. Mizzou will be at 500 at the end of the college football season. You know what? I think I'm going to leave it. I just don't think they're ready. I, I think they're good, but I don't think they're Great, And I think it would take a level of greatness to win the games that it would take to get to 500. You have to go on the road and win at South Carolina. You'd still have to beat Georgia. You're two and three now, so you'd have to go three and two, obviously, the rest of the way. And I, I don't see three more wins. I think they lose to Georgia mm-hmm. on November 14th. They lose it. They lose at South Carolina. Okay. Arkansas is a toss up. They're playing. Well, they, they started off really well. Mississippi state should be a win. And then Vandy. So, uh, I, I think the next three are prohibitive. How about the Arkansas game, Randy, the battle line rivalry? Oh, it's great. <laughs> and now it's the, the Barry Odom battle, the battle line rivalry. Yeah. Do you think anyone in either state cares about that game as a rivalry game? No, no. One thing that's predictable about that game, it rains really hard every single time they play it. Every time. And usually it's the day after Thanksgiving. This year, it's going to be on Saturday, November 28th, the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Just know this, ladies and gentlemen, on Saturday, November 28th, it is going to be pouring. You can take it to the bank. Randy says it. Part of the deal. 
That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And thanks very much for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Thank you, Scotty. Next up, Jim Bowden has his top 25 free agents list out. But is there somebody that should be on there that's missing? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 803 on Character and Smallman. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman walked into a cutout of herself staring back at her today. It scared the daylights out of me because I turned to give people some some background. The door to our studio is a big glass door so you can see into the studio. And normally it's kind of dark in here in the morning and I see my empty chair. I turned the corner really quick and didn't even pay attention. And I looked up and there was a a figure sitting in my chair. It freaked me out. And it was me. It was me. (laughs) These are big, these cutouts. They are, yeah. Those were the Cardinal cutouts that allowed us to sit in the green seats a couple of times at Bush Stadium during the season. Thanks to the Cardinals for sending them and for all they do for the charitable endeavors for the St. Louis metro area. Michelle, Jim Bowden of The Athletic put together a list of... His top 25 free agents and where he thought they would go. And conspicuous by his absence on this list of the top 25 free agents, despite the presence of people like Marcus Simeon and uh, Taiwan Walker and Alex Colomay, conspicuous by his absence is Yadier Molina. Mm -hmm. As you try to objectively look at this list... And don't count Yadi as just one of our favorites. Can you put the 38-year-old Yadi Molina, based on his production in 2020, on your top 25 list? You know what I think I would? I know that there's other catchers on here that are younger and that have probably better production Mm -hmm. than Yadi. But I thought it was interesting that Adam Wainwright at 39 was on the list and I'm, not Yadier Molina. And that's that's the argument that I'm going to make here is that if you put Adam Wainwright at 39, and granted, Adam Wainwright had a great season for the St. Louis Cardinals, but it was a shortened season. What would that have looked like at his age over a, a regular season, a normal regular season? We don't know. I was surprised to see Wainwright at number 18 and not Yadier Molina on the list. And by the way, Waino was at 18, Taiwan Walker who's been riddled with injuries over the last three years, was number 19 on the list. I wonder if it was, or if it should be notable that Bowden has those two right next to each other. Here's the thing about Yadier Molina, is that he is going to be more valuable for some teams than others. Obviously, he's valuable here because the Cardinals know him well. He knows exactly what the Cardinals are looking for. And he has cachet within the Cardinal clubhouse and the Cardinal organization. Mm -hmm. But if I'm a team that has a young pitching staff and I want those guys to get better because of the presence of my catcher, with all due respect to a guy like um, Yasmani Grandal, who's the catcher for the White Sox, and they're going to lose one of theirs. By the way, James McCann is on this top 25 list. And Yadi isn't. But if I were Tony, I would be interested in bringing Yadi over there to help a guy like Giolito get better, to hope uh, that a guy like Dylan Cease can get better, to uh, hopefully get Kopech back where he should be. And he had some emotional issues during this season. But Yadi can make those young players better. If you're a contending team with young pitching, 
I think it does make sense to look at a guy like Yachty. Now, a guy like James McCann is really good, but he doesn't help develop young pitchers mm-hmm. like Yachty or Molina does. Is he going to be better for the long term, better offensively? Yes. But for that specific thing, a team like Houston, with Verlander out and all of their young pitching, and Dusty as the manager, they would be really smart to bring a guy like Yachty in there. Can you imagine Yachty or Molina going to the hated, cheating Houston Astros? <laughs> Wouldn't Man, that be something? That would be a twist. But you're exactly right. We're going to talk to David O'Brien at 9.30. He is a writer for The Athletic. He's the one that wrote about the Braves' interest in Adam Wainwright. And in that piece, and in a lot of the rumors that you're hearing, a lot of the other teams outside of the Cardinals that are interested in Adam Wainwright are interested because of his veteran presence. They're in, They're interested in him because of his experience and his mentorship and what he can do to help benefit their teams in a lot of ways that are intangible, that are not going to show up on a statue. And you could double that for Yadier Molina. Definitely. And I I wonder, though, if maybe, we know that there's interest from other teams. We know that that exists for Yadier Molina. But I wonder, though, if other teams aren't valuing him as much, if that doesn't benefit the Cardinals. Because mm-hmm. if they want to bring him back and he is looking for a certain dollar amount, and other teams just aren't necessarily willing to go there with him, even though they see value in him for so many reasons. I wonder if that helps the Cardinals sway him and saying, hey, are you really willing to give up your legacy here and everything that you've built here and that you've earned here, especially with hopefully fans coming back into the stadium and a team that, while not necessarily being a World Series contender, is still going to be a competitive team right. and that is better for, for them with you there. I just wonder how much that helps him if he's not going to get the maybe perceived contract that he's hoping for. I also wonder, and by the way, at MLBTradeRumors.com, they project Yachty returning to the Cardinals on a one-year deal for $10 million. And they also project Wayno coming back here on a one-year deal, I believe, for $5 million, No, $6 million. Word gets around in baseball. Mm-hmm. and Big time. Yachty is strong-willed, and we've talked about him essentially being in or believing that he is in control of the organization. And I wonder if there are managers that are reluctant to bring in a guy who demands a certain amount of playing time and who is so forceful and so strong-willed as Yadier Molina is. Because sometimes when you have that sort of a force within your clubhouse, it's a hard one to slow down. But do you think he would take that same approach entering a new environment? That's what you don't know. If you are A.J. Hinch, I'm just going to throw a name out there. That's not a good... Let me give you another one. If you're Rocco Baldelli and you're heading into your third year in Minnesota and you've only been a manager for a couple of years, you don't know. You, You just don't. If some guys... Dusty Baker knows that he can control the situation. Tony knows that he can control the situation. I would think that there are young managers out there that they hear about what Yachty has done in this Cardinal clubhouse. They've got Instagram accounts too. And they would be cautious about the way that he has conducted himself. Not for the detriment of the team because he wants to do what's best for the team, but managers and general managers want to be in control. That's why they get the job. I also think that teams have uh, justified a lot more severe things than that. And I think that if they really think Yadier Molina is going to be um, a value to them and somebody that's going to impact their staff in a lot of different ways and help them get to a certain level, then they look at that. The way that I look at that 
is Yadier Molina having so much passion? This is a this is something. If I'm another organization, I'm looking at Yadier and I'm saying, this is a guy who's been doing this for how long and he wants to play every day. This is a guy who's been doing this for how long and still wants to continue his career. This is a guy who's been doing this for how long and in his free time, he is running twice a day to get in the best shape of his life and watching all of this video to make sure that he is as prepared as possible and that my staff is as prepared as possible. So yes, he may post some things on Instagram, but that passion doesn't just diminish in one area of his life. That fire rages in all aspects. And I would rather have a guy that cares that deeply at all times than a guy who's a little apathetic. My counterpoint would be that if we play the six months that we're scheduled to play, 38-year-old catchers don't last that long. And I have to be able to set him down so that I have the premium Yadier Molina when I get to the postseason that I sign him to get to. And here's a guy who's played a lot of games and has seen his offensive production drop in each of the last five seasons and seen his defensive production fall off as well. I want to have the freshest Yadier Molina I can have come October, and he's going to have to be on board with that. But if you're another team... That sort of mentality of I'm going to play, I'm going to do this while you love that passion and you want that out of him. If he goes to the White Sox, even if he's reunited with Tony La Russa, if he doesn't get the playing time he's, he desires and he takes Instagram, do you think that fan base cares what he has to say? They don't have the emotional tie that Cardinals fans do to that. He doesn't have the same power within a new organization that he does within the, the walls of Bush Stadium and with the Cardinals. It doesn't play as well anywhere else but St. Louis. It might play well in the clubhouse you never know and that's your concern because if he can guide the feelings of the rest of the team negatively then that's an issue when when he takes a shot at a manager on instagram and 14 players like it on instagram then you have at least the perception may not maybe not a real problem but at least the perception of a problem but if you're Even though you're a Hall of Famer, if you're the new guy in the clubhouse and you come in and you're trying to exert your will and you're trying to to undermine your manager or disrupt the vibe in the clubhouse in any way, and I'm not suggesting he would do that, but I think if I was a player who had been there a while, I'd be like, hey, read the room, bro. We're trying to win, and and if they want to preserve you for when we need you, it's to your benefit and our benefit. That's why I think confident managers should be the one that should bring him in. I don't think anybody with any any problems with their security, any in insecure managers should be on board with their general manager bringing the guy in, even though he is a guy that can really help out a young staff. He, he does not go well with insecurity. It's going to be the bottom line. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that is first Fresh Take here on 101 ESPN. Next up, the NFL talking about expanding their playoffs again. Should they do it? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. If you didn't see this over the course of the last couple of days, Chris Mortensen reported that the NFL Competition Committee expects to present a resolution to owners that includes a 16-team playoff this year, Michelle, in the event that games are lost because of the coronavirus. The Competition Committee vet met on Monday uh, via a Zoom call. So can you imagine seeing that uh, Zoom call and there's Stan Kroenke? We'll see how this process works out. You think he was on the Zoom? No, I do not. (laughs) But here's the plan, according to Mort. 
the competition committee had a, a, a long conference call today about contingencies and prepared as this pandemic obviously is not going away. We know what the numbers are spiking. And if for some reason oh, there are games lost, uh, then what they are going to put as forth as a resolution to the owners eventually is if games are lost, then there will be eight teams in each conference, four first place teams in the NFC, four first place teams in the AFC, and then four additional teams in each conference. So that would be 16 teams in all for the playoffs, and they would be uh, seeded accordingly. So as we speak in an example, Michelle, Seattle would win the NFC West, Tampa would win the South, Green Bay would win the North, and Philly would win the East with a record of 3-4-1. and one. And then your other playoff teams would be the Saints, the Cardinals, the Rams, and the Bears. Mm -hmm. That's what you would have in the NFC. In the AFC, you'd have Pittsburgh, Kansas City, Buffalo, and Tennessee. So that would be North, West, uh, East, and South. And then your next four would be the Ravens, Colts. Browns and Raiders. I have no problem with an extra playoff team in each conference. They were going to have seven anyway and have a bye. So if you set it up like hockey, I, I think that would be fine. I have no problem at all. You go from 16 teams to eight one week, mm-hmm. eight to four, four to two, two to one. I loved the expanded playoffs in baseball, and I think this is a great idea. It's a weird year where practices are being pushed. You're seeing bye weeks evaporate, as Mort said, if if games are lost. It's just a nice thing to have, kind of a, a padding, if you will, just in case something goes wrong. But I think the more sports we can have right now, the more sports of consequence, the better for all of these independent leagues, even though the NFL doesn't seem to need any help in that case. I am all for a year when there's a lot of factors that are contributing to teams not having the consistency that they would normally have getting a shot at a title. You've gotten rid of the Pro Bowl, so you can take away that week. You can just not have two weeks between the championship games and the Super Bowl. And the other part of this, from their perspective, is that ESPN, for that one wildcard playoff game, they get the worst wildcard playoff game. I think it's the first game on Saturday every year. Mm -hmm. And they pay $100 million dollars. For that one game. For one so, game. Yeah. So you add a couple of extra games at $100 million a pop, that helps offset the fact that you didn't sell any tickets yep. in 2020. And that's one of the things that owners are looking at, too. And as you said, with no other sports going on and people confined to their homes, mm-hmm. the ratings for those games would be through the roof. Through the roof. And selfishly, I'm thinking about it being cold. There's not a lot else going on. If you want to give me extra playoff games in the NFL, I'm going to take them. I like the idea. As a matter of fact, I don't think it should be a temporary idea. I think it should be a permanent idea. Really? Yeah. Why why not? 16 teams works in the NHL. It works in the NBA. Gives the NFL an extra week. I, I think it's smart. And if the owners, they're, they're going to make a hell of a lot more money, I think, off of having the two extra playoff games. You know, they keep talking about adding a 17th game to the schedule. Just add this. You're going to make more money off of it. That I'm in favor of. Instead of adding an extra game, why not add an extra postseason game? Absolutely. Now, the other big NFL news in the last 24 hours, Michelle, is that Antonio Brown has been activated by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he is ready to play Sunday night football against the New Orleans Saints. He's going to be wearing number 81. What are you expecting out of AB? I don't expect a lot. This guy hasn't played in essentially a year and a half now. He he did play that one game for New England, 
But when you haven't played in that long, you haven't been in training camps basically for two years, haven't played in games, I don't expect an awful lot. Now, I'll probably be surprised and it'll probably be fantastic. But when you're 32 and you've missed as much time as he has, I think it's kind of unfair to have real high expectations. And I know that Tampa Bay was saying that they were shocked with how physically fit he was when he came into the facility. But that's something that we expected. I don't. Do you follow him on Instagram, Tampa? And just because he's in the gym and he's the best at working out doesn't mean that's going to translate to real NFL game action and to speed. I do think it works to his advantage that he's been piled up with Tom Brady and that, you know, Tom is probably running a tight ship over there at Casa TB12. And they're studying the playbook and eating right and getting getting everything that he needs to get in to be prepared for this moment. If Tom is the one running that ship, I have a feeling he's going to be ready to go now. Will it? Will he need some sort of a buffering period to get to the level that he wants? Probably, but I do. I do expect to see him and have him surprise me. Football shape is Football what he's shape. trying to gear for. Coach Vermeil had every stat in the book, and one of his big stats was players that hold out of training camp and don't have the opportunity to get into football shape get hurt. And as he would have used the term, it was glaring how often players that hadn't played during the summer and showed up just for the fall wound up getting hurt. I don't know if that number has changed now because they don't really practice hard during training camp anymore anyway, and they don't wear pads for practice anymore. The game is, for lack of a better term, it's a lot softer than it was. So I think it's easier to just come in with athletic ability and just be in great physical shape and not in football shape and still succeed. Do you think he and Tom are driving to the facility together oh, and Tom's yeah. quizzing him, you know, like a, par- a parent taking their kid to school. Okay, what's this route? What's that? What's this? There and- is absolutely no <laughs> doubt about that. Yeah. So I-, I wonder how he likes Jeter's house. I wonder how AB is enjoying staying in St. Jetersburg. I'm sure it's very luxurious. Do you think they still have to put their phones in the basket yes. by the door? Yeah, I would imagine. You have to. That'll be a fun game because not only are you going to have Antonio Brown playing, but you're literally going to have Brady and Breeze ping-ponging back and forth with the the career touchdown record. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that is going to be a fun game. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And uh, hopefully we'll see more NFL postseason football this year. Boy, the product has been rugged. And I'm not blaming them this year because they didn't get a chance to have OTAs. Uh-huh. And they've obviously missed out on training camp and preseason games. But, man, the the product of the games has been weak. And don't you hope that by the time you get to the playoffs that some teams will have found more of a rhythm and settled mm-hmm. in a little bit more? And that's why I, I think that you should add as many postseason games as, as you possibly can because hopefully you're going to get a much better product with something on the line. And Mort made a great point last night here on 101 ESPN talking about the Patriots saying, keep in mind that Bill Belichick always uses the first four games of the season as an extension of training camp. Now he's had to deal with COVID. Yeah. So... We might not see the real Patriots until week 12, but he's not giving up on the Patriots. Mort's not. He's saying that they by week 10, week 11, they might be hitting their stride a little bit. I don't believe it. Yeah, I don't But either. Mort has that much respect for Belichick. But I don't have that much respect for Cam Newton's play. Or the two <laughs> undrafted wide receivers that you started on Sunday. I, I respect Bill Belichick a tremendous amount, but... Cam Newton's got to protect the football. (laughs) Coming up, we've got the fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Carriker and Smallman. 
Unit King of Morning Drive, please welcome Randy Carriker. Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It is 8.33 in the morning. On this Wednesday, that time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Let's welcome in Randy's challenger for the fight on this hump day. Kent is with us. Good morning, Kent. Morning, Michelle. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you this week? How's your week going so far? Uh, It's going. I've got a two-week-old, so I'm running low on sleep. You've got a two-week-old. Congratulations. Thank you. First child? Uh, Third. Third. Wow. Okay, so you already have daddy strength. (laughs) Yes. Okay, well, daddy strength times three, including a new baby. Hopefully that carries you through the fight with Randy. All right, Kent, here we go. Question number one. How many gold gloves has Paul Goldschmidt won in his career? Three, four, or five? So he hasn't won one with the Cardinals yet. Everything's with Arizona. I'm going to go five. Question number two, Kent. Where did Antonio Brown play college football? Michigan, Central Michigan, or Western Michigan? Michigan seems too obvious. I'm going to go Central Michigan. Anthony Salser's alma mater. Fire up chips. Fire him up. Fire him up. Yeah, All right. I him in the afternoon, too, so I had to give it a shout-out. There you go. Shout-out to Stalter. Okay, question number three, Ken. ESPN NFL analyst and former NFL quarterback Dan Orlovsky began his NFL career with what team? The Houston Texans, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, or the Detroit Lions? Doesn't help. I've never heard the name, so I'm going to have a shot in the dark here. Uh, let's go with option A. The Houston Texans? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Final question for you, Ken. Albert Pujols was the last Cardinal to win the Gold Glove Award at first base. What year did he accomplish this? 2009, 2010, or 2011? 11-1 series. I'm going to go with 11. Okay, we're checking score here. Kent, while we have you, can you please tell us about your new baby? Boy, girl, what's the name? We want to be sure to give your new addition a shout-out. Yeah, so baby girl, her name's Emery. Oh. And so while we're doing a shout-out, I also want to do a shout-out to my oldest one. Um, while Randy was in the afternoon fight, we would listen to him every day on the way home. A guy called in. So she's listening to day two. Her name's Addison. Well, shout out to Addison and Emery. And of course, we don't want to leave out your middle one. So let's just shout out the whole squad. <laughs> there we go. Middle one is uh, Beckett. He's at daycare right now. Okay. Sounds great. Sounds like a beautiful family. Randy, say good morning to Kent. Kent has a brand new baby, the third baby in their family, two weeks old. Oh, Kent, congratulations. That's great. Thank you, sir. How you doing this morning, Randy? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for playing. We appreciate it. How much sleep did you get last night? Uh, probably about three hours total. <laughs> I know how it is. <laughs> Good. Congratulations. That's great. All right, Randy. Here we go. Question right. number one. How many gold gloves has Paul Goldschmidt won in his career? He's won three. Question number two, Randy. Where did Antonio Brown play college football? He is a graduate. I don't know if he's a graduate, but he went to the same <laughs> school as Anthony Stalter, Central Michigan. He's a Chippewa. Don't believe he graduated. I can't tell you if you're right or wrong. 
Fire up chips. Okay, Randy, Dan Orlovsky, former NFL quarterback, ESPN NFL analyst. Where did he begin his NFL career? What team? He did tweet earlier in the season that my 0-16 would beat the Jets 16 times. And the only 0-16 team in NFL history is the Lions. I'm going to say that it was Detroit. Final question, Randy. Albert Pujols was the last Cardinal to win the Gold Glove Award at first base. What year did he accomplish this? I'm going to say 2010. We got a winner. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Well, Randy made quick and easy work of this fight. He just cruised through through those four, getting all four correct. Sorry, Kent, you're still number one in our hearts, even though you only got one correct. <laughs> so let's run through the questions here. Paul Goldschmidt has won three gold gloves in his career, 2013, 2015, and 2017. Antonio Brown did play college football at Central Michigan from 2007 to 2009. Dan Orlovsky began his NFL career with the Detroit Lions. He started his NFL career in 2005. And Albert Pujols last won a Gold Glove Award at first base in 2010. He's a two-time Gold Glover, 2006 and 2010. Kent, thanks so much for playing today, and take care of that family of yours. Will do. Thanks, guys, for having me. I appreciate it. Ken, thank you very much. Hey, we want you to know about a food drive coming up. And with all of the problems that we've had with the pandemic, a lot of people have lost their jobs. And the St. Louis Area Food Bank is trying to do everything they can to increase their food supply to help out members of our community that need food. So on uh, this Friday, November 6th, from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., there is going to be a contactless food collection. You can join in the fight against food insecurity in our community. It's brought to you by St. Louis Bank in partnership with World Food Day and the St. Louis Area Food Bank. Go to stlouisbank.com for more information. stlouisbank.com for the contact list food food collection. It's at 9811 South 40 Drive, 63124, stlouisbank.com if you would like to participate, and I think I will. I think I will, too. Our friend Jay Delsing is involved with that, so if you can help out Jay, it's a good thing. If you have the means to do so, please do. Yeah, it's... It's amazing what's what's happening in our country. If it, it's almost impossible to be oblivious, isn't it? We mm-hmm. had yesterday, and congratulations, by the way, to St. Louis County. And I haven't been able to pay attention to the city or the east side, but St. Louis County had an eighty percent turnout rate for the election yesterday. So impressive! Yes. Glad to see so many people getting out there. Yeah, and exercising your privilege mm-hmm. to vote, and evidently, it's still going on. Still going. <laughs> As of last check, it's still going on. So uh, we hope that you're able to just to stay happy and, and have a good time, even though you might not be happy. Half of it's like a like a Super Bowl game where you have fifty percent of the people that are going to be unhappy and fifty percent of the people that are going to be happy. So why don't we talk about something that'll make everyone happy? The 2020 St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> but we can try to make you happy talking about the Cardinals. We'll see if Mark Saxon has some sunshine lollipops from The Athletic. He joins us next on 101 ESPN. Mark Saxon from The Athletic joins us now on 101 ESPN, live from the McDonald's drive-thru. <laughs> Big Saxy, how you doing, man? Doing great. I, I got my uh, two bacon, egg, and cheese biscuits. I am ready to rock. But, uh, you know, like you guys, um, last night I was just locked in on the gold glove 
so because, I mean, that was clearly the race to keep an eye on last night. Yeah, biggest thing going on in the country, right? Who's going to get that hardware for Major League Baseball? Wouldn't you have thought, like, somebody in MLB would have saw, you know, November 3rd is maybe not the ideal night to kind of do that? Is that just me? Uh, no. no, because it's Major League Baseball, Mark. <laughs> Oh, okay. All right. You got me. So, Mark, I got to be honest with you. I I, I want an honest answer from you. As you wrote this piece for The Athletic, seven free agents who who could be value plays for the cash-strapped Cardinals, and you typed out the names of Jock Peterson and Tommy Listella and Kevin Pillar and Jerickson Profar and Rich Hill and some of the others, were you thinking, wow? Or were you thinking, eh? You might, you got me, Randy. <laughs> I, for the most part, the latter. But I, I, I did pick, pick those guys because I think they're kind of intriguing. Like Rich Hill has always fascinated me, right? Like um, he's forty years old. He just spins curveball after curveball, and he just ha- he just you know has a great year every year. So I think he's an interesting guy. Uh, Profar, he's only he, I think he's twenty seven years old. And he was former top, top prospect who's kind of looks like he's figuring out how to hit a little bit. So they all did have something that was intriguing. But you're right. When when you look at the totality of some of the names we're looking at, it may not be the most exciting winner. I think Rich Hill is intriguing for a team that expects to be in the World Series or the postseason, but feels like they can go the season without him and still make it and then add him for a playoff push. Yeah, that's a great call. I, I agree with that. I, and by the way, uh, the the disclaimer on the Rich Hill um, entry and that piece you're talking about was, I, I think it only makes sense if they don't re-sign Adam Wainwright. Right. Mm-hmm. A, because it's a similar kind of guy, and B, uh, I, you just, you know, the depth is, is, is fine without Rich Hill if you, if you sign Adam. But if you don't, I think he's an intriguing name out there. Mark, is there a reason Michael Brantley wasn't on the list, or did he come in at number eight or nine in that range? What's your reason for not having him on there? I love Michael Brantley as a player. Um, he, he he's you know he he doesn't his his OPS those kind of numbers don't you know fly off the page at you because he's not a huge home run guy, but he's such a good hitter. I think he'd be a great fit there, Michelle. To answer your question, because of I guess my regard for the player. He's also a great defender, by the way. Because of my view of the player, I, I just think he's going to get um, a deal that eclipses what the Cardinals would be comfortable with. And it's the same with George Springer and J.T. Realmuto. I didn't really um, lock in on guys who I, I, I thought would get, you know, maybe multi-year deals at pretty good annual value. So that was the reason I left him out, not because I don't think he would help this team a lot. Mark Saxon of The Athletic is with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And, uh, Saxy, I asked this question of Mo Zalak last week, and I want to know if, if you are on the same page as me here. Uh, I said, if you don't bring back anybody, Wong or Wainwright or Molina, would you be comfortable with that group? And he said, no, not without a strategy. But I, I kind of think that that might be the direction they go. I wouldn't be surprised if there were no signings of free agents for this team. Yeah, you know, I would say that that is a scenario that I would not surprise me. And part of it, you know, Mo wouldn't really go into a lot of specifics in the call you're referencing. You know, you tried to nail him down on that. I tried to nail him down on what kind of percentage we're looking at in terms of a, a cut of the payroll. Wouldn't answer that. 
Um, but the tone to me suggested that he doesn't feel like his hands are particularly free this offseason, right? I would say I don't think they can sign literally nobody, especially if you're going to move Tommy Edmond into the everyday second base position. I do think they have to look at a utility-type player. So there's where, like, a Jerickson Profar might come in, a Tommy LaStella, that kind of Maybe opportunity. Maybe Maybe a Brad Miller, exactly. And maybe that's the plan all along. They liked what he did. Brad Miller had a weird season, by the way, a great first month and a pretty terrible second month. So part of it is just what do you trust last year, right? I mean, even with these gold gloves, like they did it this year with um, ex- exclusively based on one particular defensive metric. And anybody who looks at defensive metrics will tell you they're extremely sample size oriented. So, the gold glove is always a little bit of a ridiculous one, but because it's managers and coaches who don't necessarily see all the players a lot, this year it was even more ridiculous, I think, because it was this one specific metric that just didn't have enough sample size to get a good picture. And by the way, I should add that the Cardinals would have to sign a veteran catcher somewhere. If they don't bring Molina back, whether right. it's Weeders or somebody else, they would have to have somebody to go with Andrew Kisner. Yeah, that's correct. I don't think that they're going to do like an Andrew Kisner, Yvonne Herrera. He's just not ready, Herrera. And they, you don't want, you know, two legitimate prospects, one of the guys to be sitting on the bench or both of them to be splitting time. So I think that's exactly right. What they've done typically, though, if it's a backup catcher, is wait until, I don't know, the end of January, early February. There will be five or six guys who can all catch and throw, and they'll sign somebody to a minor league deal. Mark Colton Wong earned his second gold glove last night, back-to-back gold gloves for him. He had a great Instagram post saying, hey, if anybody's interested in a two-time gold glove award winner, shoot me a DM. Uh, Do you think his DMs are filled today? Are they popping? What do you think the market's like for Colton Wong? Actually, I would say probably not. All we keep hearing is how, you know, the Cardinals are one of, you know, a ton of teams who are going to be not wanting to spend a lot, how it's going to be a slow-developing offseason. Colton Wong is a really good player. He's not necessarily kind of a franchise-altering player. And I think you'll see the top guys get the most attention early on. And I think the top guys will probably get their money. You know, the Real Mutos of the world, the Springers of the world, the Trevor Bowers of the world. It's the Colton Wong class of free agents. It's that middle-class guy. You know, we all know what Colton Wong brings to the table. He's makes contact he gets on base pretty well he has essentially zero power and so i think i think that aspect will slow down his uh his pursuit of that contract now i do think somebody will offer him a a good enough deal well he'll go and i would tend to doubt that will be the cardinals based on the you know what randy just brought up mark i thought it was interesting to just try to make a comparison Last year, 2019, Yalmer Sanchez of the White Sox won the gold glove at second base in the American League. He became a free agent. By the way, he had a 638 OPS. Wong had a 675 OPS in the two months this year. And Sanchez had to wait for a minor league deal from the Giants. A gold glove second baseman had to wait for a minor league deal right before spring training, like you were talking about with the catcher. And I wonder if Wong might be in the same boat because that second base position, even since Wong signed that contract, has changed so dramatically. When you have Mike Moustakis playing, getting big money to play second base for a team, and with all the shifting... I don't know that Wong holds the value that he did five years ago. It's funny you say that because I once had a conversation with Colton Wong 
where he brought up exactly what you just mentioned. And that is if you're an elite defender like him, you hate all of this data and shifting. Why? Because it's very effective. You know, Randy, if you want to take this to the extreme, the extreme would be how long would it have taken Ozzie Smith to break into the major leagues? You know, I'm talking about back when he was hitting, you know, 230 in the minor leagues. Um, because what you just said, because the data is so good, they know where to put guys before the pitch is made. Because of that, the, the importance of an elite defender is declining rapidly. And I think that's, that's exactly what you're referring to. On the other hand, if you really watch the Cardinals closely, you saw what a difference it made for those marginal plays where he wasn't in exactly the right position, but his jump and his athleticism allowed him to make the play. So I think we can't go too far with that, but it is, it has irreparably changed the game for exactly what you referred to. Mark, if Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina aren't back with the team next season, do they have a face of the franchise? What's the identity of the St. Louis Cardinals going to be? Well, I mean, you, what you're doing is you're risking denting that identity. I think the identity of St. Louis Cardinals right now is an elite fielding team with very good pitching depth and not a very good offense. Now, if as Randy and I are, and, and you as we're kind of, kind of puzzling through this, if in fact they don't add offense and your run prevention takes a step back, that's where you kind of worry now. I would say they're probably in better shape than the most fretful Cardinal fan thinks they are because I do think the pitching depth is really, really good. And I think Tommy Edmond could be fine as an everyday second baseman, maybe with a little more upside offensively. And because Nolan Gorman and some of the other position players could come on fast once they're allowed to start playing games again in the minor leagues. So um, I would say that it might look very different but I don't think it's as hopeless as people think. I think we tend to think that in the off season when teams don't make moves, and then once games start playing, you realize that it wasn't so crucial after all. A couple more quick things. Number one, how effective – we're talking a lot about Wong. How effective do you think Tommy Edmond can be at second base? Well, if you look at – you know, he played a lot of shortstop in college. That was kind of – second base became his main position uh, once he got to the Cardinals. And – Again, we talked about the unreliability of small sample sizes with defense, and, and that absolutely is true. But what evidence we have suggests that second base is Tommy Edmonds' best position and that he's above average so far. And again, he didn't get a lot of opportunities there because they had Colton Long. Um, he played more third base, as everyone knows, and he played a lot of outfield last year. But when he, you know, if you look at his defensive metrics, he's, that's his best position. Um, I think he would tell you it's his most comfortable position. And then, you know, the other factor being Colton Wong, as we mentioned, was all but a zero power-wise. Tommy Edmond is not a zero power-wise. So I do think the Colton Wong decision would have been totally different if they weren't comfortable with Tommy Edmond. And I think there's a pretty good comfort level there that this guy's going to be a very solid player for years to come. Mark, after winning his eighth gold glove last night, Nolan Arenado said that he wants to play for a winner, that he's – still a little bit unsure about his future with the Rockies. I'm paraphrasing there, but do you think Nolan Arenado is still on the Cardinals radar? I think here's basically everything, you know, I've gathered from talking to people behind this. I think Nolan Arenado would love to play for the Cardinals. 
I think everything we've talked about in this conversation makes it very unlikely that that will be this off season. And then what happens is you start projecting out, okay, would they be interested going into the 2022 season? Now you start looking at age declines and whether it's worth it to sign a guy who's, you know, getting into that 30 range. Um, then it becomes a more difficult conversation. So I think the answer is at the moment, probably not on their radar. Will he be next year? Again, you'd have to look at age. You'd have to look at how players, you know, a, you know what the decline looks like, maybe what Coors Field does for aging players. So I think it's becoming pretty complicated at this point. Last thing for Big Saxy. We got a ticket or leave it earlier asking, uh, it was a ticket or leave it, the Cardinals would DFA Matt Carpenter during the season. If he gets to 550 plate appearances, uh, I believe his contract might vest for 2022. So would the Cardinals take that risk or would they just keep him sitting so that they could avoid the 550 plate appearances? You know, I cannot see whether whichever happens, I cannot see them allowing that, you know, like, is it an 18, $18.5 million option for 2022 to vest? I mean, I guess the one scenario would be it all starts and he just gets on one of his tears, right? But we haven't seen that in a while, Randy. I think that they will go into the season with Matt Carpenter. They'll be talking him up as they really feel good about him. You know, he's going to play a lot. If he's not producing early, I I wouldn't expect that to linger too much. I think it's just been too long now since Matt has been the guy, you know, who they signed to that extension. So, again, it doesn't make any sense not to have optimism with him going into the season, but I don't think that it will take long for them to – come to a a quick conclusion on what he can give them you always give us great stuff and we hope we didn't get your food cold (laughs) uh so far it's in the bag wrapped up i feel okay about it and i'll i'll take that risk anytime for you guys (laughs) you're the best you're the best thanks mark we'll talk to you soon All right, guys. See ya. See you later. That is our friend Mark Saxon from The Athletic. His work is great. You can always find it at The Athletic, and it's well worth the subscription. And that is a true friend to risk getting your food cold to do this interview with us and to provide great information to us and our listeners. Next up, we talked about Andrew Kisner. Is he the answer for the Cardinals behind the plate in 2021? It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A couple of years ago when the Cardinals traded Carson Kelly in the package that brought them Paul Goldschmidt, one of the reasons that they were comfortable in moving Carson Kelly is because Andrew Kisner was on the way and they really liked what Kisner brought to the table in terms of his bat. And they just wanted him to get better at managing a game and get better technically behind the plate. He was improving at Springfield, but They wanted him to get to a point where they felt like he was major league ready. And now with Yadier Molina, a free agent and out there and may or may not come back, Kisner, Michelle, looks to be the guy that is next in line. Maybe he'll last, maybe he won't, but he seems to me, well, he's clearly at, he's going to be 26 years old, the next catcher for the Cardinals. And we won't know if he can be that guy until he gets the playing time. 
because Yadier Molina has just outlasted prospect after prospect. But if the Cardinals are at a crossroads here and they need to, in fact, evaluate and build for the future, they need to know if Andrew Kisner can, in fact, be that guy. He has a 797 career OPS at the minor league level. He's been a 300 hitter in the minors. In 2,300 plate appearances, he's hit 58 home runs, 104 doubles. So he hasn't been a huge slugger. His career minor league slugging percentage is 434, but apparently he has gotten bigger and stronger. And all these things we're talking about, the offense and the improved glove, have given John Mozilak reason to want to see him. Well, I think I would definitely like to see Andrew get more opportunity. Um, you know, 17 at-bats this year, it's, it's hard to make a lot of decisions on that. But, um, you, you know, whatever we do, um, obviously there could be another face in the mix. But as I stated, until we determine what's going to actually happen with our free agents, it, it's it's hard to sort of state what's next. Um, so speaking in hypotheticals, I think I will, will kick that can down the road. Another face in the mix. So that would be not Yachty or Matt Wieters. That mm-hmm. would be that, that veteran catcher that we were talking about. And there are an array of veteran free agent catchers out there. But how shocked would you be if the Cardinals didn't bring Yadier or Molina back, they didn't go with Kisner full-time, and they brought in another veteran oh, catcher? That would shock me. Shock and, you. And I I just can't envision that happening. I, think I can't if, either. If they bring in another catcher, it's going to be as a compliment to Andrew Kisner. And maybe not Correct. a backup, but a compliment. If you play 162-game seasons, maybe Andrew plays 100 and the other guy plays 62. You give him a spell here and there. Yeah. But because of where I think the Cardinals are in their evolution, I I would prefer to see them whether it's Yachty playing the 62 games or somebody else, I would prefer that they get a sample size to know what Andrew Kisner is before 2022. But I can't envision a scenario in which Yachty or Molina would be okay with that. I can't either. And if the Cardinals presented him with that and said, hey, you're going to have to split time so that we can figure out what's going on here. We want to bring you back. We value you, but you're going to have to play less. I don't see that being a desirable option for him. The only way I think it could happen, and I don't think that Yadi would want this, is for him to be humbled. Because we know that J.T. Real Muto is going to be the first free agent off the board. Mm-hmm. He's the best. James McCann. We heard Dave Duncan the other day rave about James McCann of the White Sox, who was a Gold Glove finalist this year and is a veteran and does a lot of the same things that Yachty does. Kurt Suzuki just won the World Series last year with the Nationals. Jason Castro has been around the block. This year, Mike Zanino was just in the World Series with Tampa. There are a lot of good free agent catchers on the market this year, and perhaps one or more that would be more amenable to playing those 62 games so that you can find out about your future. Because I think one thing that is absolutely definitive is that at the age of 38, Yadier Molina is not your future. No. He's your present. If, if he's back, he's your present. But you aren't going to win the World Series with him. because you, Not because of him necessarily, maybe in part because of him, but because the rest of your team isn't good enough yet. But if you're, if you're a team that's right on the precipice there, or you're a contender, and you're looking at a guy like Adi or Molina who wants to win and who wants to go to a contending team, and you know that, hey, maybe we can get some playing time out of him, but the other things that he's going to bring to this clubhouse and bring to this organization are worth that value, 
great. But I wonder if any situation that he's presented with, whether it's with the Cardinals or another organization, if he's going to have to swallow that pill that he doesn't want to, that this is not going to be my full-time gig. Because I don't know if that exists as in every factor that he wants exists. You're going to be the full-time guy. It's a contender. You're going to get the money that you want. He's going to have to make a concession probably on one of those three things. Yes. And I would think, Michelle, that the Yankees probably, if they're going to make a move for a catcher and move on from Gary Sanchez, they're going to go after Real Muto first. Sure. The Mets would go after Real Muto first, although they aren't going to win. I would think that he'd rather go to a place where he has a chance to win. Somebody's going to go after the money that the Mets will offer. So maybe if you're the Braves, Tyler Flowers is a free agent and you've got a bunch of young pitchers and you're already interested in Adam Wainwright, maybe the Braves are a place where you, you say, okay, Adam's already said we're a package deal. Maybe they wind up there. But would he get the money he wants? I, I would hope at this stage of his career, he's made like $155 million. I would hope that his primary interest is in playing and playing for a winner. I would think it is. He's yeah. he's so competitive and we know that. But I, I just wonder if he would be more keen to preserve not that he needs to preserve his legacy but keep the legacy in st louis and only st louis and take less money here than he would somewhere else that's a question none of us can answer that's right obviously we 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 couldn't answer it with alex petrangelo and we can't answer it with yadi either and obviously two completely different situations because yadi's right in the last year of his career and petro's going to be around for at least seven more there's just so many things to factor in, and only he can make that decision. He's he's the one in the driver's seat. But I do wonder if, all all things considered, if he won't feel that magnetic pull back to the mm. love and the respect that he has in St. Louis and know that it's not going to be the same anywhere else that it is here. And I would hope that, and I don't want to disparage Yadi in any way, I would hope that he has enough respect for this organization that he has the ties to that he understands that Andrew Kisner needs to have an opportunity to play so that the Cardinals can find out about him. And don't get upset. Don't get ticked off. Don't get mad when the Cardinals say, okay, you got weekends, you've got 65, 70 games because we need to find out about the next guy. Just like we did for you with Mike Matheny back in 2004. That's really, that's difficult. Yep. I don't know if I can see it playing out that way. I, I Based on, based on what he has said, Yachty, we all follow him on Instagram. Mm-hmm. We know how passionate he is. And he's been very vocal about what he still has left and how he wants to play all the time and how yep. he wants to win. So I don't even know if in his mind, through his lens, if he views it as disrespectful to the Cardinals or more of, I know what I have. Yeah, I think that this situation will wind up being about more than money. On both sides, I think it'll wind up being more about about more than money. From the Cardinals' side, Kisner wine, wanting to reassert a level of control so that they can play him. And Yachty, with that passion and that desire to play and play for a winner, I think money might wind up being secondary here. Mm-hmm. Coming up next, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> It's time for... Killing me, Small! All right, Randy, you know that I'm doing 75 hard. You did 31 hard? 27 uh, hard? 27 hard, yes. 27 hard? What about 363 hard? Ooh, no. 
Well, that's what Russell Wilson is doing. Because he's unlimited. He's unlimited. So he visited with Bill Simmons on the Bill Simmons podcast, and he talked about the great lengths that he goes to to make sure his body is ready for elite performances at all times. He talked about how he spends a million dollars, if not more, a year on body recovery. He says he has a whole performance team, a whole group. He's got a full-time trainer that travels everywhere with him and also works with Sierra. He has a full-time physical therapist, and he has two chefs and in addition to this performance team. I wonder if he ever goes to McDonald's. Well, probably not, because he says he trains like this 363 days a year. He takes two days off. Do you want to guess what those days are? Christmas and the 4th of July. Christmas, correct. Thanksgiving. Oh, okay. Because he usually does not have a game then. So he says he takes off Christmas and Thanksgiving, but he trains like that for 363 days a year. Huh. Well, good for him. It's certainly been worth his while because he's got a $150 million contract or something like that. And that's hard to do. It's hard to stay that committed, but I guess it is his job. So it's an easier thing for him to do. But I'm proud of the guy. I think that's amazing that he can do that for 363 days a year. I guess it's easier when you have somebody pushing you. That you're paying. That you're paying. It definitely is. Um, He also continued to stress that he wants to play until he's 46, into his mid-40s. So if that's your long-term goal is to play for that long, you know that all this work that you're putting in right now to preserve your body is going to help get you there. He never gets hit. So that's a good thing. I wonder if he eats avocado ice cream. Probably. I don't know why you would. I would just rather not eat ice cream. Me too. Yeah, avocado ice cream? No, that's not a play for me at all. It just sounds miserable. Yeah. I'd rather eat an apple than eat avocado ice cream. I'd rather go to Ted Drew's or Fritz's. (laughs) That's right. Just go for it. If you're going to go for ice cream, go for the good stuff. Yeah, right. There you go. Treat yourself. You're killing me, Smalls. So, Randy, we know that yesterday was an election day. We talked about the great turnouts here in St. Louis. Well, there was a good turnout in Kansas City as well. One polling place was Arrowhead Stadium, and that was open to voters in that area thanks to Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes and his foundation split the $100,000 bill that it cost to turn that into a polling place to open up the stadium to voters, and he says he didn't even think twice about it. Yeah, I thought it was very important uh, not only just to get as many people... Uh, out to vote as possible, but also to use a place uh, as Arrowhead where we show a lot of, uh, have a lot of fun, show a lot of love, a unity, uh, where people coming together and use that a place where we can come together and vote and use our voice. And uh, I thought Arrowhead was the perfect place for it. And the Chiefs were, were all aboard with it. And uh, some other guys on the team, we all just made effort, made our efforts strong and really got it to be a, a central point for everybody to go vote. That's so cool that he spent $50,000 of his half a billion to uh, get people out to vote at Arrowhead. Drop in the bucket. Yeah. But still, he, he just continues to do the right thing for for his community in and, Kansas City. And for the right reasons, no doubt about it. What a what a blessing for KC. They're so lucky. They are so lucky. And what a jackpot that the Kansas City Chiefs had. You yeah. could not ask for a better franchise quarterback or a better face of your franchise than that guy. Oh, I think that Chris Ranji would vehemently disagree. He's really? got he's got Mitch Trubisky. They took him with the second pick in that draft. That's true. <laughs> Raj. Do you think that keeps people in, in Chicago up at night? Yes, it does. There's yes. no doubt about it. It <laughs> would me. It would me too. Oh, and we haven't gotten to this part yet, but 
think about how we felt about watching Randy or Rosarena in one postseason. Oh, man, and, right. And then take that feeling and apply it to Bears fans Ooh, with Patrick Mahomes. You're killing me, Small. So we've talked a lot about Gold Glove Awards today, and we failed to mention that Javi Baez, the Cubs shortstop, he finally won his first Gold Glove yesterday. He's been one of the best infielders in baseball for the past three years, so congratulations to him. And he says he's got some permanent plans to commemorate this hardware. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I will somehow <laughs> and somewhere. I don't, have, I don't have much space now, but um, uh, hopefully, hopefully I get more and... and and I, I, I get it more. So Yes, maybe make the first one small because there may be more than just one. Javi Baez saying he's going to get a gold club tattoo on his body somewhere. Now, we all know famously he has the MLB logo tattooed on the back mm-hmm. of his neck. He has a Cubs World Series championship tattoo on his left shoulder. So it's going to be interesting to see where he places his gold glove tattoo. On his hand. That would be a good play. Wouldn't that be great to write on the back of his hand to have a gold glove right on it? That's right. As someone who also has hardware tattooed on, on their body, shoulder, what yeah. do you think of this decision? He's already got multiple tattoos, so this won't mean anything extra special for anybody else except for him because it's just another tat for him. But I, I appreciate him being in the club and in the tattoo club because <laughs> we're buddies. And I, I appreciate his uh, his appreciation of the gold glove. Do you know how people who drive Jeep Wranglers are... And kind of a club too. They do the yeah, Jeep. It's a Jeep thing. The yeah. Jeep wave that they do with each other, mm-hmm. and it's you'll only understand it if you have a Jeep. Yeah. Is is hardware tattoo the same deal? Yes, totally. Okay. Yeah, Stanley Cup. It's just tattoos in general, but hardware tattoo especially. Yeah, we've got a real special wave. <laughs> so it's if I see that you have a tattoo and I have a tattoo, it's immediate understanding and mutual respect. We're in the club. Okay. Totally. We're, yep. we're in the club. You've been in battle together. You're killing me, Smalls. So the Jets. Randy, a mess. Great. Just a mess. And people are looking at Adam Gase. A lot of people are pointing fingers. A lot of people are wondering if he's a guy for the job. Maybe saying his seat. Maybe a little hot. A little bit. A lot of people (laughs) saying that. Not the GM of the Jets, Joe Douglas. He defended Adam Gase yesterday. I think we just haven't been able, whether it's continuity, whether it's only having our offensive line together for three games, whether it's having almost a different wide receiver group uh, every week, the time we miss with Sam. I, I think there's a lot, of, a lot of reasons for us being where we are right now, and I don't think it all falls on one person. He went on to say, this is not all on Adam. We must do a better job to surround him with better players. But that's so, your job. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. You can't defend the coach and then say either the coach is doing a bad job with good talent or you don't have enough talent and it doesn't matter what the coach does. If you are Joe Douglas and nobody in New York likes Adam Gase, you don't say anything there. Your team is 0-7. By the way, an 0-7 team that's going to play on Monday Night Football next week here on 101 ESPN. Tune in. (laughs) Put it in your calendar now. (laughs) (laughs) But you don't use excuses. The old Tony Dungy line, no excuses, no explanations. Nobody cares if you've only had your offensive line for three games. Nobody cares if Adam Gase has done a great job. The bottom line is you're 0-7, and everybody's seat should be hot there. You're killing me, Small. Is Sam Darnold's seat hot? He, another yep. year, an, no improvements from him under Adam Gase. People are wondering if Sam Darnold is long for the Jets and what the market might be for him. If they could shop him, what could they get? And Jay Glazer talked about this uh, with Colin Cowherd. I think Sam has shown 
really great athleticism this year. He has nothing to work with over there. I think that there will be teams who look at Sam. I don't think they're going to get an awful lot for him. I really don't. Um, but I certainly think that teams will – it depends. You have an offensive coach. A lot of these coaches like to look at him saying, with their ego, oh, I could turn him into a star. I could turn him into a pro. Yeah. So you'll have those teams looking for him. So teams looking for him, but you're not going to get a whole lot for him if you're the Jets. And he was the third overall pick in 2018. Probably get a sixth rounder for him. And he goes to either Pittsburgh or Indianapolis and becomes a star. I hope that Trevor Lawrence does not go there. Yeah, me too. (laughs) I do not want to see another talented young quarterback come out of college and get stuck with the Jets. I think Christopher Johnson is the owner of the Jets at the moment. He's at least in charge of the organization because Woody is somewhere overseas as an ambassador. But if I were the Jets' ownership, I would... Ozzie knew him 63. Ozzie was the best general manager in the league for years. He's retired now. But man, I would offer Ozzie Newsom the world to come and run my organization. And just give him complete autonomy? Complete autonomy and say, I'm never going to talk to you about football. You just do what you need to do. Because you're going to lose, like you said, the third pick in the draft. You've, you've wasted that. The $52.5 million you gave to Le'Veon Bell, you've wasted uh-huh. that. You just have no clue about how to build a winning football team. So I would move on sooner rather than later from Joe Douglas and from Adam Gase. Just start fresh. And I had hopes for Adam Gase. Adam Gase is a Martz protege. He started his NFL coaching career under Martz in Detroit, went with him to San Francisco. They're buddies. And obviously Peyton Manning is where Gase made his name. I think I could have coached Peyton Manning as a quarterback coach. But I really thought I had high hopes for him, but apparently they aren't going to come through. Thank you, Michelle. You're welcome, Randy. That's uh, You're killing me on a one ESPN. And next up, we're going to talk to David O'Brien. He covers the Braves for The Athletic. Are the Braves going to bring Marcelo Zuna back? And how much interest do they have in Adam Wainwright? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Let's head now to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And David O'Brien, who covers the Braves for The Athletic, joins Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. David, thanks so much for taking some time with us on this Wednesday. How are you doing? Doing good. How are you doing? Everything's great. Hey, we want to start with this, with the reports that the Braves have interest in Adam Wainwright. How significant do you think that interest is? And what would Wainwright bring to the Braves? Uh, very significant. Um, he's exactly what they need, really. With the emergence they had of a couple of rookies late in the season in their starting rotation, it became less of a uh, uh, priority to go get an ace, which it would have been before their emergence, and more of a kind of a need to go get a guy that could kind of stabilize, that could uh, a veteran presence to go with an otherwise really young rotation. Still, Max Fried is the oldest guy. Uh, the others will be Mike Soroka, who got hurt this year in his third start, who was their you know Cy Young candidate entering the season. But Freed became that candidate after he replaced Soroka at the number one spot. And then uh, Ian Anderson and and uh, Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson are all rookies this year. So, I mean, they could come back with a rotation that has Soroka, Freed, right now two rookies, and fill in you know that, that other spot with a guy like, Wainwright would be perfect because of uh, 
you know, just the gravitas he brings, the experience, he's been through everything, he's relieved, he's started, most, obviously, almost exclusively started, but he did have closer experience as a rookie. I remember when he was in the postseason as a rookie. Um, uh, he's been through TJ surgery, been through uh, Achilles, which I know a lot of people have overlooked the fact that he came back from Achilles surgery, which is exactly what Soroka's coming back from at age 23, Soroka is. Uh, so to have a guy like Adam Wayne right there, you know, for uh, you know, starting like in say if they signed him and he was able to after the after the new year when they everybody starts the throne program or whatever to have a guy like uh, Wayno to talk to just about you know if he has a twinge one day Wayno be there tell him hey don't worry about that this is what happens that kind of thing so that could be invaluable too uh, but they're not getting him for that role obviously but all these things are intangibles that just make him a perfect guy here and the fact that he obviously lives in St Simon's Island now and. Uh, and has ever since, uh, you know, even after he, he left the Braves, he's kept his winter home there and family and friends and all that. I'm sure he would like to come down here if all things were equal and the Cardinals don't make him an offer to stay. So I think a lot points to it, but we'll see. I, he, they're not the only team interested in him. I know that he had a hell of a year. David, if they were to come to an agreement and potentially get a deal done, what do you think the terms might look like between Wainwright and the Braves? God, I have no idea. With this winter, I mean, I don't <laughs> think anybody has any idea. I could tell you normally, but I just think all that's out there. I think all so much is up in the air right now. Teams don't. And that's another reason why he makes more sense than going after a guy like Trevor Bauer, for instance, which before they had, like I said, a couple of those rookies kind of really come to the fore at the end of the year. It looked like they need to go out and get an ace this offseason and get a guy like Trevor Bauer. But fortunately for them, they really don't need to do that because I think Trevor Bauer might be the only guy that gets a huge contract, even if it's a one-year deal, which is what he says he wants to do anyway. But he might go get a $25 million, $30 million deal. But a guy like Wayno, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of guys in their mid-30s, late-30s in his case, that are accepting uh, – even less than, you know, in, in recent years, those guys have gotten a lot closer to, you know, $5 million and less for a one-year deal. And I think in his case, you know, he uh, he's coming off a really good season. So, But before that, you know, he had, what, four, I think, straight years with uh, ERAs at four to five. So, um, uh, But he had a hell of a year last year and, and, and averaged more innings per start than any of the brace pitchers, believe it or not. So, um, you know, I'm just guessing, just spitballing. And I might be way off on this, but I could see a one-year deal, you know, uh, five to seven million, which is actually more than his base was last year, if I'm not mistaken, right. with St. Louis, because he had, he had a low base salary there last year. I couldn't believe how low it was. He obviously wanted to stay, and he was coming off, like I said, a couple of back-to-back pretty mediocre years. But, uh, you know, he's going to be 38, 39, so I, I could see – you know, not more than that and maybe less than that, given the economy and, you know, the fact that I think he'll take a little less to come here than he would to go elsewhere, not to stay in St. Louis, but a little less than he would to go elsewhere. David O'Brien, who covers the Braves for The Athletic, is with us on 101 ESPN. David, last offseason, the Cardinals showed virtually no interest in bringing Marcel Ozuna back. What about the Braves' interest in bringing him back this offseason? Oh, man, if they... You know, that's another one of those things that's so up in the air. If they were to decide in the next few weeks that there's going to be a DH next year, so much depends on that. Because, as you know, he is not much of a defensive outfielder. He's a weakness out there. And they've got Adam Duvall, too, who had a hell of a year and is under contractual control, really affordable for the next two years. So if you keep Ozuna and there's no DH, you got to play him in left field, presumably, 
Um, and, you know, because Acuna's in right, and they got a kid, fantastic rookie, Pache. is probably going to be great next year, or it could be. He's, he's already great defensively. He's going to be a center probably. Um, and so you'd have to play him in left, and there's not – so there's so – what, what does Duvall play? You know, Duvall had two, three homer games this year. I mean, he's a guy with a lot of power. So if they have a DH, the Braves, he's their number one priority, I think. Ozuna, side resigning Ozuna. He was in spectacular in the role this year for the Braves. Hidden behind Freddie Freeman. Freddie had the best year of his career, even though 60-game season, but the best, like, slash numbers of his career. Um, and – and he and everybody else credited Ozuna with really being such an integral piece of for one for Freddie, who's gonna probably win MVP, Ozuna, he probably took a lot of votes obviously from Ozuna. I think Ozuna would have been top three. I mean, he led the league at homers and RBIs and and, and wasn't far off leading the league in average. Right. A triple crown. So he was fantastic. But defensively he's not very good at all in, in the outfield. So the D H role suits him so well. So I think if if they don't know, if you're getting, you know, in the middle of the winter and there's still no decision on DH, or if it looks like there's not going to be a DH next year, I could see a, an AL team making a bigger offer for him than an NL team, or an NL team that just really needs an outfielder and is willing to accept his below-average defense. David, when we look at Marcelo Zuna's performance with the Cardinals and then with the Braves last season, I wonder where the the disconnect was. Is it that Marcelo Zuna was healthy, maybe a shortened season, the talent around him in Atlanta? He had a chip on his shoulder because it took him so long to sign. What do you think the key difference was for Marcelo Zuna in, in his season with the Braves? I think it was all of the above. Uh, definitely. I think he was healthier, even though he wouldn't admit that shoulder or, or whatever he called it, a lad or whatever. He, I think he, he, when we said shoulder, I think he, he, he argued with that and said it was lad or whatever. But I, I think that clearly hurt him last year. And he came in this year and, you know, he came to spring training, was a little out of shape. But then the quarantine was, in his case, the best thing that could have happened to him because he got himself in really good shape during the shutdown when he was home in Miami. And he came to the summer camp in much better shape than he was in spring training. He was in good shape by then. And uh, hidden, in, hidden between, um, you know, hidden in, in front of Freddie Freeman and or in front of Travis Darno and behind Freddie Freeman was huge for him because as good as he was, teams still pitched around Freddie Freeman. Still did. Hmm. Even, even for the entire uh, two-month season, they were still pitching around Freddie in the last weeks of the season, and Ozuna made him pay more often than not. I mean, there were several times he made him pay with a home run, uh, a grand slam one time. I mean, they would they pitched around Freddie or even intentionally walked Freddie in some cases, but a lot of times unintentionally, intentionally walked him and to take their chances with Ozuna, and he made him pay time and time again. So, you know, hidden with uh, the, the one, two, three they had for most of the year, uh, with Acuna, followed by Freddie Freeman, who they moved up from the three-hole where he did for years and years. They moved him up to the two-hole and moved Azuna into three-hole, and they only did that because with the DH, it made sense. It doesn't make any sense with a pitcher hit ninth to have Freddie hit second. But with a with a DH, and, you know, you had a, yeah, Austin Riley hit ninth most of the time. It made The lineup made a lot of sense, so a pitcher had to face that gauntlet, one, two, three, in the first inning. And uh, it really worked well. And then you had Darno had the best season of his career, hidden behind him most of the year, hidden fourth. So, you know, those moves out, and that, that definitely helped. But he did most of it on his own. He was in great shape. And, uh, you know, he, uh, <coughs> he has, 
he has an incredible ability, Ozuna, that is, to keep the bat in the strike zone and, and uh, he, he, on that plane, on that even plane. There's so much. You'd never teach his swing to anyone. All the movement in his feet, the way he just looks out of sorts. I mean, he looks like he's a mess a lot of times. But, man, once the pitch is delivered, lightning quick hands, strong as hell, and that bat stays in the zone for so long. He's something to watch, man. He's, he's great. And, and his personality, his charisma, fit in perfectly here with Acuna and Ozzy. The young Latin guys loved him, but everybody loved him. The energy he brought, he carried a boombox around. They'd land somewhere at 3 in the morning, and he'd have the boombox in the in the team bus on the way to the hotel. I mean, and he was really embraced here. They, they significantly really let him be himself, and the other guys kind of fed off it. And uh, He was really instantly a big part of the chemistry here. David O'Brien, great stuff. We love what you do at The Athletic. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it, and we'll talk again soon. You got it. Thanks. Take care. That's David O'Brien from The Athletic. Covers the Braves. Joining us on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to cross things over with Dan McLaughlin. Scoops with Danny Mac coming up on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Scoops with Danny Mack is coming up here at the top of the hour on 101 ESPN. We close things down with Carriker and Smallman. Danny Mack, how you doing? I'm doing great. I was locked into the election last night and then fell asleep by 10. I was actually watching yeah. the uh, Gold Glove I watched some of that. ESPN. Yeah, I was flipping around. I watched some of that. Congratulations to Colton Wong and Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, uh, obviously kind of a weird way to do it with just the metrics, the sabermetric look at it, and no human element to this. So if you're wondering why Tyler O'Neill is a finalist and then wins it, it, that's why. But he, I'll tell you what, it does show why the Cardinals have been so high on him because sabermetrically, he is a stalwart. He shows up. He's fast. He's got a good arm. Gets mm-hmm. good jumps. This is it. This is what you're waiting for. It's just it's got to come out in a full baseball package. You told us at the beginning of the season that the Cardinals looked at him as a Gold Glove defender. I did. Uh, I was told by a assistant or uh, uh, one of the coaches. I can't remember who it was. They said when we watch him in the minor leagues, he is a Gold Glove defender. No matter where we put him, it's just a matter of. Coming up to the major leagues, can he, I think it's more about relaxing, not looking over his shoulder. Am I going to play every day? Just just relax. Go play. Well, with, with he that, played this that, year. Do you think he can look over his shoulder? He played this year, and, you know, all of a sudden he got a chance to play, and now he's got a hit. You right. know, he can play defense. I don't really project him as a center fielder. I think he's a left fielder. He's going to get primary time in left field. But if you have other guys at falter and you need it out of necessity, because clearly if you're saying goodbye to Wong, they're looking at any kind of offense. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if the guy in center doesn't play well and this guy's playing well, like Carlson's in left or center and O'Neal is a guy you can go left center, then they're going to play him because they can can hit. We'll see if they can hit. What do you think the market's like for Colton Wong? And do you think that door is completely closed here in St. Louis? That's a good question. Thank you. Uh, I do think, the, I, I never say never. I, I think when they're walking away from Wong, the, the price tag to me, what it showed me or told me is that they are saying, okay, we've been a good defensive club. We've been based, our uh, our team has been based on pitching and defense, um, but we have got to figure out a way, even with our best defender, and Molina's in that conversation, but we've got to find a way to find offense. 
And now payroll flexibility is part of that too. Eleven and a half million dollars you're trying to bring back Molina, but six seventy five OPS at second base was just not going to cut it. So I do, yeah. There will be a market for a guy that that maybe a team's looking for that missing piece. I think the Angels would be a good fit for Wong. They they need a guy like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think the Cardinals are looking at there's going to be bargains out there. And they're going to say, we're going to sacrifice our defense. Maybe it's one time, two years, whatever it is, but in this crazy market, and we're going for bats whenever that happens. Now, I think it's going to be way down the line. I could be wrong about this, but I think it's going to be way down the the offseason before we see some of those moves. But I think they're saying we're going offense instead of defense. I know you loved making those Wonger calls because he's such a spectacular player. He is a good player. Uh, And and defensively, he's he's awesome. He's a great guy for a play-by-play guy to call plays He's for. awesome. I I think of, uh, as a third baseman, Terry Pendleton, Terry Pendleton back to the infield, maybe none better that I saw. Like, Arenado is awesome. Roland was awesome. Um, but Colton Wong going out on a fly ball, he's, he's pretty darn good. Yeah. And going towards the right field line or coming in on a ball, really good. And he's got great range. Where I, I think you get concerned if you're the Cardinals – just say you're you're playing in a game next year and you do not have Bader in center. Let's just say Yadier Molina is not here. Colton Wong is not here. Your strength was up the middle defensively, and that's gone. That mm-hmm. that has to be of concern when you think about where you're at defensively right now. And the Cardinals' concern about Andrew Kisner is not with his bat. It's with his defense. I, I think there's all-around concern. Really? Yeah, He did pretty well at the minor league level. That's the minor leagues. Yeah. Um, I think they, they time will tell. Let him get a full season. But I, I go back to this, Randy, with, with Kisner. If he wasn't up and if, if this wasn't the ideal situation to have him mm-hmm. up, what is? So you had 11 doubleheaders, okay? And you had Matt Wieters with a broken toe and hobbling around and struggling on the back end of these doubleheaders and was hitting 100. And Andrew Kisner wasn't on your everyday roster. So what does that tell you what the team is thinking right now That as, as far as being an everyday ready catcher? Now, I saw in the summer camp, I thought he had made great strides defensively. Uh, he had a couple of really good games of just ba- uh, catching base stealers. I think one, one game, one inning, he caught like Colton Wong and Tyler O'Neill, two of your fastest guys. Uh, but I have to wonder, if, if he wasn't here then, what does that mean for 2021? Now, we'll, we'll find out, but... I'm just I'm just throwing that out there. What what does that mean? What what would you say to that? I would think that based on what we heard from John Mozeliak last week that we might have a, a situation similar to the manager being forced to play Oscar Tavares when they traded Craig and uh, forced a position open for Oscar Tavares because Mo did say 17 at bats wasn't enough for Andrew Kisner. We we need to see more of him. Got to see him. Got to see him play. I agree with that. See what you got. I when I watched him play before, I thought he could hit, but then I, you know, I'm kind of wondering, well, why isn't he here? But in talking to minor league people a couple of years ago, people that were working directly with him, they were really concerned about his defense. De- everything, yes. everything about his defensive game. That was the big question mark. More than anything was his defense more so than his offense. You know, I, people thought he could hit at this level. I guess we'll find out. Got to get a sam- full sample size of that, but. Um, I thought he had made some pretty good strides defensively. I really did. And he's a good kid. Nice guy. Yeah. So hopefully it'll work out. Yeah, we'll see. So, What do you got coming up? Uh, Brian Walden. 
Wednesdays. Oh, yes, Wednesdays with Walden. You got it. See, I was off Monday, and everything mm-hmm. my week is messed yeah. up. You're it, all messed up. It doesn't feel like a Wednesday. I don't know why. Um, day. Well, let's okay. see. We had a long night last night. Maybe yeah. that's why. Yeah. Did you guys stay up for it? I was in bed by 10. Okay. I stayed up past that, but in before midnight. So, and you were in bed by 10, too? I was. I was in and out. I was falling asleep, waking up. I, I'll tell you what, those people that run those... Um, the counties and go, okay, this county's yeah. here. And this is what they're doing. They're amazing. Amazing. Yeah, they're, they're pretty good on all the stations. Hey, they're just awesome. I can't even tell you where Maine is on a map, <laughs> right. let alone a county in Maine. That's top, what I was right thinking. Maine. I top was right. like, wait a minute. That, okay, there it is. But that county's there? Wow, that's really well done. Yeah, think about the research and the prep and yeah. to know which way all of those those counties lean. And I love when they zoom in and then zoom out on the yeah. map and they don't it's miss amazing. a beat. There's here's what happened in sixteen. Yep. Okay, this is what we you know they're trying to do here. It's uh-huh. it's pretty fascinating stuff. And those guys are working every day. Remember how Costas would prepare for the Olympics by literally taking four months off. The, the Olympics would start in July and. You'd call him in March and say, hey, can we get you on the show? And he said, I'm prepping for the Olympics. It was unbelievable. And these guys are so well prepared, mm-hmm. and guys and gals. Yeah. They, they really know what they're doing. Pretty interesting. I guess we'll have to wait and see. It's become the sport of the fall. It is. What are we going to do when this, the, the sport ends, though? What we got? We're going to have the NBA by Christmas? Yeah, looks I, like hopefully. it. Hopefully. Yeah, it looks like yeah. it. Almighty Dollar says, "Hey guys, I know you're tired, but you got to play. <laughs> That's right. We got to we got to get you out there. We got to get you out there." What does LeBron have to say about that? Yeah, well, <laughs> just ask him. He's in charge. He's pretty much. It out. And then the NHL got to get them out there. So we'll see. Maybe February for the NHL, forty-eight games or something like that. Well, the thing is, they they're going to back up with the Olympics too. Yeah, it's, <clears throat> right. So can you get another network to come in and jump in and help out and how that works out? I mean, this. Yeah, it's getting interesting Probably. now. Yep. We'll be tuned in. Thank okay, you, sir. my man. Thanks. Great job today by our producer engineer, Scott Manziara. Thank you, sir. All right, thanks, Randy. Michelle, as always, this was great. Enjoy your uh, picture of yourself. <laughs> yes, Randy brought in your the cut cardboard cutout of, well, he kept his, but of me from Bush Stadium. So thank you. I will. Yeah. What'd you do? Put one over your uh, fireplace at home of yourself? I will. Yeah, I'm sure you will. Joan will love it. <laughs> it's your anniversary gift. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Hey, yeah. thanks to you for tuning in, texting in, being a part of the show for all of us until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Looking for something to do this weekend? Vivid Seats has tickets to sports, concerts, comedy, and theater, all at great prices with a 100% buyer guarantee. Visit vividseats.com or download the app and use 10Ticket for $10 off your first $100 purchase. At Adelphi University, known for award-winning career guidance, you can earn an in-demand master's degree in business analytics or a master's degree in supply chain management or earn an MBA with one of seven concentrations with flexible scheduling. Learn in small classes with personalized attention from world-class faculty. Your success is our business. Visit adelphi.edu slash business degree. That's adelphi.edu slash business degree. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. 
call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done